0: Jack R. Sparaccino writes purely for the joy of writing and has brought his Ladies Mafia series under the Reader House umbrella of publishers. The name of his book, Howling at the Moon, The Southern Ladies Mafia Goes Abroad. It took some doing, but I finally got Jack to answer his phone to talk about how he brought these fascinating, if not scary characters to life.
1: Well, I've been retired officially since 2006, and uh, I spend my time... Uh, you know basically doing whatever the hell I want to good for you like to fish I've always loved to fish and I've got lots of friends in the area and I've got my my son's grown sons that are in uh, uh, in Boston which is nearby of course and uh, I've got two girlfriends one on each coast uh, that keep me busy and two little dogs and uh, here and there I sit down and write stories
0: that's pretty good so do the two girlfriends know about each other Um, mostly. That's interesting. I know a guy who does that and they both know, both of his, uh, significant others know and they're good with it.
1: Well, here's the thing. Uh, I'm 72 now. Uh, so probably, you know, grew up a long time before you were around. Um, in the fifties, I was born in New York city, Queens, uh, New York, specifically Boulevard Hospital, which I don't think is there anymore at about nine o'clock at night on Veterans Day. Before it was actually called Veterans Day. I think it was called Armistice Day back then. And uh, I've, I've lived uh, all over the country. i lived in nine states.
0: Were you in the military?
1: No. I was, well, my, my father was very upwardly, uh, upwardly mobile when uh, I was growing up. And so that resulted in the move to California, for example, where he uh, headed up the, uh, the guidance system for the Apollo uh, shot. Wow. That was his team. Oh, he was, he was a, a star. My, my father was an absolute uh, rocket scientist, international star. And my mother was a, uh, an artist. And so, as I like to tell people, when you mix up a rocket scientist with an artist, you get something that looks like me.
0: You get Jack. And what did Jack end up doing?
1: Me? Yeah. <laughs> well, I've had four careers. Number one was I was sort of a self-styled yet traditional academic. In the sense that um, after I got my doctorate from uh, the University of Chicago in 1978, um, I had been teaching part time to you know pay tuition and so forth uh, for a couple of years. Then I went to Ohio State and I was full time uh, academic nerd for three years. Drank a lot of beer. Went to all the home you name it games: football, basketball, hockey. And what was my favorite of those three? Hockey all the way. Oh my goodness! Was, you know I just show up and uh, say my name and. Oh, here you go, with, uh, Mr. Sparrowstein. You know, I got two tickets for you right here. Nice. Got tired of that um, after three years at Ohio State. Went into market research uh, for a couple of years. So that was my second career. And that's that's where I met my incredible wife of a lifetime, Jane. Career number three was aerospace. And that's where I spent most, most of my adult life, was uh, working for United Technologies in the Sikorsky Aircraft Division, making helicopters in Stratford, Connecticut.
0: I know where that is
1: yeah career number four is what i do now which is that when i feel like it i sit down and i write
0: (laughs) well i love the title of your book howling at the moon the southern ladies mafia goes abroad what what inspired this
1: well first of all let's talk about the cover for a second now that you mention it
0: Okay. okay
1: that that young lady is my east coast girlfriend's niece who's living in uh, the Dominican Republic. She doesn't speak much English, but she wanted to come up here and marry me or heaven knows what. We couldn't get her through customs and it was just a living nightmare. And the residual of all that effort was uh, that I I, I had to put her on the cover. Why? Because she looks the part. I mean, she's Latina all the way, hot and spicy. And I said to myself, that's the girl I'm on the cover
0: yeah she's really pretty
1: she's she's stunning so anyway that that's that, that's my east coast girlfriend's uh niece now what i think you're you're you were alluding to what got me into uh writing the, the ladies mafia series there are four books in the series you're you're looking at number three there's a fourth one that's done that i'm saving for next year
2: Okay. if i live that long
1: uh it's it's very adult i mean they, they the four books go progressively from uh, almost pg to uh to r to my west coast girlfriend says she said you write pornography i said no i don't i write graphic novels they're not like porn- they're graphic there's a big difference <laughs> now why did i come up with the southern ladies mafia well um i'm well read in, in several areas aside from my uh, you know home field uh, of, of psychology uh one is u.s naval world war ii history and, and that you know series of writings that i did over the years is what helped in my getting the uh, world war ii uh, victory medal from the navy and um i get to do whatever the hell i want to and writing stories and what got me going was reading about World War II horrors and, and some related materials. And I uh, started getting into crime novels. Michael Connelly is one of my favorite authors. I'm sure you're well familiar with, with his work and, and, and several others in that, in that genre. And it was all guys, you know, all bad guys. And I'm thinking, you know what? What about, let's, let's just stand back a little bit. Let's think about, there must be some horrible women out there. I
0: think it was yesterday that was reading That was a woman. That's very unusual. Very. For a mass shooter to be a woman.
1: Almost unheard of. Now, here's the point, my dear. There is this one out of a
0: 100, and actually
1: it's more like seven out of a 100 statistically. That's the percentage of female inmates in the United States coast to coast. 7%. So they're rare, but they're not unheard of. And so I got the idea. Of developing a story around a woman that I called Carla Springbean DeAndre because she was all legs and that's what they called her when she was a kid. And one thing led to another. I read one story after another after another and it just accelerated. And before I knew it, I had a whole, book, whole book's worth of, of these stories, followed by another book. Then I switched over to Fulton last year, I guess. And um, Howling at the Moon was uh, the second one, I think, with them. Second, yeah, second. I've got a third one that's in process. They'll get the fourth Southern Ladies Mafia book next year. And then my West Coast uh, gal and I are, are doing something entirely separate from all that. Uh, another another book.
0: Do I need to read your first book to read Howling at the Moon? Or can these books be picked up, you know, separately, individually? Oh, it's, it's a good
1: question. Um, I wrote them sort of a left brain, right brain uh, perspective on it. On, on the one hand... Uh, I like to believe, in my own mind at least, that a person can pick up any of the volumes and be fine without having read the, the, the prior volumes. That said, the first volume in the series, which was done with Ex Libris, a company that I literally can't stand, and I left them uh, in a fit. The first Southern Ladies Mafia book was uh, was done with them, and if you if if you were going to go back in my history, I would only say just read the first two or three chapters in in that book. That sets the stage that introduces Carla and sets the whole, you know, train wreck uh, motion. And that's what, that's what it is. I mean, they, they go on this rampage, essentially, uh, to to the Caribbean, to to Cuba, out to uh, Oklahoma. Uh, and everywhere they go, it's carnage. You know, they're robbing banks and they're cutting guys throats and dumping them off the back of cruise ships and. And then they go back to their, their cabins and they crack open
0: a bottle of $150 champagne and it's
1: drinks all around.
0: All righty. Well, how do these women know each other? How many are there?
1: Uh, there are about six. And, okay. And uh,
0: what happens is it, Carla is the
1: uh, uh, she's the central character throughout all four of the volumes. And what I had her do is just sort of one by one pick up some, some uh, female accomplices and then later a couple of... Uh, Two, three guys as as well, based on guys that I knew, and I just sort of fantasized about what would it be like if they were hooked up with uh, with Carla. One of the, one of Carla's gang uh, is a real person. She's an artist uh, here in Boston, very very talented. And I met her. Uh, I went to a, a movie a couple of years ago and uh, took a lunch break. Went right downstairs, and lo and behold, she was painting a mural upstairs, and we got Chatty. She's very, very talented, also absolutely lovely to look at, and and just sparkles, you know, complete with, you know, she's all splattered with paint and, you know, got a rag around her head. And I I was enchanted by her, and I got the idea of, why don't I just work her into these stories? And she wound up being Carla's right-hand gal. What's
0: Carla's motivation? Is she frustrated? Is she angry? What's her deal?
1: Bored. She's a corporate attorney in Charleston, South Carolina, which is not far from where I lived for many years. I know the area very well. She's with a, you know, a flagship law firm in, uh, in Charleston, and she's board stiff. She's also working for an asshole. An asshole. And I created him very specifically to set him up for her to take care of him in the mailroom one night. And she does do that. He does not walk out alive.
0: Well, how does she have these, these murderous skills? Um, Partly uh, some side
1: training that she's uh, done uh, on the internet, and uh, she's got connections in the military, and she's just very, very bright and, you know, um, likes to initiate things, you know, partly at a board. I would say, you know, as a psychologist, I would say she's hyperactive, drop-dead pretty, drop-dead smart, drop-dead talented, and board stiff. So she just goes out looking for adventure, and it's one thing after another. They start sort of small with you know small hit jobs, and they're doing Brinks, uh, Brinks trucks. They're doing banks. They're doing uh, you know they're overseas. They're dropping people off the back of cruise ships that piss them off. I mean they're just uh, they're out of control.
0: Do their victims have anything in common? No, no.
1: I tried to, I, I tried to make the victims pretty much like regular people. You know? That, no, there's, there's no common threat through them. They're just, you know, innocent bystanders, really. whether it's a bank teller that gets shot in the process of them holding up a bank or some old guy in the back of the, the, the boat that saw something that they didn't like, so they just sort of garrote him. They use a lot of garrots because they're quiet and uh, sort of snap the guy's head almost off, not quite. And before he starts bleeding all over the back deck, they sort of nudge him overboard. And then, of course, there were three other passengers back there who saw the whole thing. So they got to dispose of those guys too. So they got like five or six bodies in the water. It's two o'clock in the morning. They go back to their uh, Carla's suite with the champagne and out comes the cocaine and the champagne and they just go nuts. You know, it's like, hey, boy, did we have a rock and roll good time
0: And nobody's on to them.
1: No, uh uh except me. I'm the only one that's on to them.
0: All right, so we've got four books now. Tell me what the name of your first book is.
1: All right, the first one is called String bean stories. Okay. Tales of okay. the Southern Ladies Mafia. And it came out a couple of years ago. The second one called Dancing with the Devil. Okay. Okay. And then the third one is the third one is the one you're looking
0: at. Is Howling at the Moon. All right. Now, along the way, have you done anything to market your books?
1: No, because I don't give a frankly, I don't give a crap about it.
0: You don't care about selling them?
1: No, because I don't need the money, and I just uh, you know I don't I, I'm retired. You know, if they so sell me, Kathy's fine. I don't I don't care. I don't need it.
0: <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. I'm I'm glad. But yeah, you, you don't think people should know. This these sounds great.
1: Oh, they're terrific. They're, they, I mean, if I do say so myself, and I don't mean to break my. <laughs> but by the way, I broke my arm, my left arm, a couple of weeks
0: ago. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> and so I can only pat myself on the back with my right arm at this point. Which is awkward, as you can imagine, uh, not to mention opening up a jar or trying to do almost anything like getting dressed. It takes an hour doing it one-handed. Try that in your sleep. What was the question?
0: You don't need the money so you don't feel the need to promote them. But I'm saying, don't you want people to know that they're out there?
1: Well, sure. And, and I don't mean to, to denigrate this conversation in the slightest. I would be delighted if they started to really sell. All I'm saying is that from a financial and personal growth point of view, I'm not 25 years old. I don't care. Okay. Now, if you can put your oar in the water and help drive some sales, God bless you.
0: Okay. Well, I think people are going to find this interview pretty interesting. You're an interesting guy. You've had an interesting life. You should write about your life. Well, thank you. You know, I mean, that's just the sense I'm getting from you. So, um,
1: how old how old are you, by the way, if you don't mind my asking? Why?
0: I'm not that much younger than you. Okay.
1: So you're, you're a grown up.
0: Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, it's not my first time around the block, if you know what I mean. Not my first rodeo. Uh,
1: I, I got you loud and clear. And in fact, I do take, I think I did take them at one point to a rodeo. (laughs) Uh. It didn't go well. I took them to a dude ranch. (laughs) I took them to a dude ranch and they're on this hayride, uh, out in the middle of nowhere, and they they get into this argument with with some of the, the people in the back of the the you know the the, uh, the wagon with them uh-huh. about taking a COVID medication uh, or you know uh, vaccines, oh. and so they get into this battle and they start pulling out needles and start jabbing these people and they fight back because <laughs> they don't like it and whatever and before you know it they're they're all dead.
0: <laughs> Jeez, Jack. <laughs> You have some dark humor there, man. <laughs> well, listen, have people read your books? Have you gotten feedback? Do people enjoy them? Very much so. That have read yeah, them? Yeah, very much you so. Know, yeah. Well, you know, there's something to be said for that. And it's nice to hear from somebody who's just writing for the sheer joy of writing. That's what I do. I mean, I wrote
1: professionally for Forever. I had to write academic stuff uh, for a living. And when I was in corporate America, I wrote stuff relentlessly. Once they find somebody in corporate America that knows how to put a sentence together, boy, you get every assignment. Yeah. Do this proposal. How about this presentation? Yada, yada. It never ends. Now I get to do it for fun.
0: What a concept. Yeah. Doing it for fun. Life is short. You should have fun. Yeah. All right. Jack, this was great. You were worth every minute. So, were you? I was like, where is this guy? Why isn't he picking up the phone? What is going on? Now I know. He's a mystery man. He's a mystery guy. Why don't you, why don't you do All this? Right. Uh, keep me posted on, on your schedule
1: in, in terms okay. of what you're either contemplating or have done, or if you, have, if you want to bounce something off me or whatever. Okay. Sound <laughs> fair?
0: Sounds great, okay. Jack. Thanks so you much. You go
1: out and do good things.
0: All right. You too. Have a okay. great day. You too. Bye Thanks. bye. I think it's safe to say Richard Siemanski is a genius. First of all, he's a Navy veteran, and he's written a book entitled Astronauts, Wives, Recipes, Recipes from Out of This World. We'll get to how he managed to befriend astronauts' wives in a minute. But this guy has done so many interesting things in his life, including starting a company called Hybrid Environmental Tech, creating eco-friendly cleaning products. Tell me about that.
3: Well, you know, it took me a year going through EPA and all that kind of stuff. It's highly proprietary, and I was doing it more for a lot of the military that has uh, problems breathing in it and and, uh, things like that. And uh, we don't have any vapor coming from it, so there's no smell. (laughs) And uh, when I tested it with them, they they just thought that was the greatest thing that... uh, I could have done for him.
0: Well, I can relate to that. The smell of cleaning products can be uh, pretty severe. But um, then you wound up revolutionizing. I mean literally revolutionizing the printing and publishing industry.
3: Uh, I was a, a, the founder of, uh, of, of my company called Graphics, and this is in Chicago, okay? And I pioneered the use of computers for the printing and publishing industry and earned a national reputation, uh, the knowledge of computerized typesetting. You know, we didn't have cell phones and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I thought uh, it was a good idea to use computers instead of uh, California job case uh, uh, led, you know, uh, lettering and all that kind of
0: stuff. Well, thank you for that. And then came World Book Encyclopedia Science Service, which led you to getting to know astronauts and their wives, right?
3: I got involved and became a, a president a technical director for World Book Encyclopedia Science Service. Okay. That's what I called it. And not only, you know, supervising and participating in uh, NASA, everybody was excited about it. You know, when Kennedy say we're going to the moon, you know, and everything started. So I wanted to do the photo coverage and, and got involved with all the manned space launches and got to know uh, astronauts and, and who used photography that... Uh, Matter of fact, we 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 had the setups over there in the swamps. We we probably had uh, ten cameras in the water out there, and and I was right. I, I was the closest to the launch that you can get, right in front of the uh, VIP stand, and I had that all set up. And when the rockets are going, they see the flame, and each each camera had we called elephant ears, which uh, we can do seventy-five pictures, and not only that, track them. Uh, our setup was better than yesterday Graphics, but it was exciting. And in between, you know, you you have conversations with some of the other uh, astronauts. The ones going on flight don't forget they're in quarantine for two weeks before they suit up and you know walk out and
0: uh that's how you got to know the astronauts wives and then when the astronauts were in space you were able to visit them and get to know them and that's how you wound up with a treasure trove of recipes
1: yes
3: (laughs) and it's over a long time you know uh yeah you know between flights and once a flight is finished I'm back in my office and starting all over again because I had some of the responsibilities of working with the uh, our government over there for the, the the VIP things, you know. So there was a lot of excitement.
0: Richard, you could write a book just about what you did for a living. Okay, so let's get back to the recipes because you you ha- you have had some life. What did you find interesting about these recipes?
3: Uh, One of the first uh, 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 astronaut wives, I think this was Mitchell's wife. I was uh, at her place, Edgar Mitchell. You know, in in her house, and we were walking around and all that kind of stuff. And outside, there was bromeliads, you know, and side walls and all that kind of stuff. And uh, she said, "This is our 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 sanctuary. This is where it's nice and quiet. We cannot be out there." And, And I said by the way, what, what would be your husband's, uh, food that he likes or, you know, and that started it, you know? And, uh, anyway, uh, I ended up getting it, uh, from all, all the wives, you know, when, when, when the astronauts come home, you know, they're not away for months and months, you know, you're right there by the NASA and all that. And, and, uh, Uh, At that time, uh, nobody can, you know, no civilians can go. You you had to have uh, a pass and all that kind of stuff because a lot of secret stuff was going in there. So we were able to do it, and uh, I was privy to to go and talk to the wives, and and, uh, a lot of them, you know, during one flight, you know, the... The wives of, 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 you know, three or four of the astronauts would get, get together and, and so on and so forth. And they were telling me stories about, you know, when, when the boys all came in, you know, unannounced and this is what they would make and all that kind of stuff. And,
0: Did you include some of the wives' stories and memories of their husbands in with the recipes?
3: Well, uh, little stories, but mostly uh, they, they gave little ones ourselves. You know, it says uh, I just opened a page. You know, this recipe, and, and she, she would write, "This recipe was a wedding present from a friend of Bill's mother," and that's uh, Anders. You know, is is uh, particularly good for the men because. Uh, It's so uh, moist and they like cake that way. So this is my own recipe, special recipe. I seldom give it out except to friends. And there's a lot of that in there, which is kind of nice, you know, and uh,
0: campfire
3: coffee. (laughs) And this is John Glenn, you know. John's uh, uh, specialty is cooking out on the patio grill and they do it a lot. He grills chicken and broils steak and makes uh, shish kebabs. And any time he's doing that, they finish the meal with campfire coffee, a recipe he invented himself and used with uh, their big old beat-up coffee pot, which looks like something a prospector could carry. John's other... Long suit is getting up early and broiling grapefruit ha- halves with brown sugar on top for breakfast. He loves to cook pancakes, flipping them as high in the in- in- air as he can. Once in a while, he misses them <laughs> and up going on the floor. The kids have loved to watch his performance, even since... Uh, They were small, and it's often done on Sundays and holidays. So I have some of that in there, you know.
0: Right, 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 right. This is great. What a fun book. What a fun time you must have had, Richard.
3: Oh, yeah. yeah. Here's another one. (laughs) Okay. When I I was uh, 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 inside the house of uh, Scott and Warden, by the way, you know, they had all wives, but Warden was, uh, he wasn't uh, married, but his girlfriend was uh, Yvette Manu, you know, the uh, French actress.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Uh,
3: I was in the house and and very cordial, very soft-spoken and very, you know, uh, they always made it very comfortable for me. And and I, I respected, you know, uh, a, a lot of things that they would say. But at the end, she says, my cat had kittens, little Siamese kittens. I says, wow, that's that's pretty nice. She says, I want you to have one. I, I said, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, i got a dog at home. He said, no, no, I want you to have it. It was a cute, you know, Siamese cat, you know, and. I couldn't say no. Right. Let's put it that way.
0: Right.
3: So I I came home and with it. I named it Apollo. By the
0: there way. There you go. Yeah.
3: And, and uh, anyway, uh, uh, my wife put uh, drapes, brand new drapes, you know, very expensive stuff, you know. And uh, we were sitting there, in a cat, and she, you know, this was still a kitten. Yeah. Uh, ran and. Lined up that uh, <laughs> uh, curtain, you know, all the way to the valance up there, you know. And my wife looked up at that and she says, "The cat's got to go." I said, "But his name is Apollo." She says, "Oh, come on, you know, because we had a dog anyway." So I, I called just one person and boom, they they took it. You know, yeah. Did, now is and, that
0: story uh, in the book? No, right?
3: No. Oh you know, yeah, it it was fun doing it. There's a lot of a lot of it in there, you know. If you remember thirteen, it was really critical because they were losing oxygen and all that kind of stuff. And uh, normally, each wife of the astronauts on that flight get together, you know, and 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 uh, one would be in stress and wants to sleep and get up and got three kids and all that, so they come in there also, you know, and. You know, work together and come down and say, don't worry about the the kids, I'll take care of them here. You know, they stay in the house because they they hear exactly what's going on, too, you know, right from uh, command post. They get all that information. So they they would say, well, just maybe you want some coffee or or maybe you just want to rest. You go up, we can take care of the kids and do that. You know, they do that, you know.
0: Right, they help each other.
3: And every flight, they get together. You know, the the wives of the uh, of the astronauts. So, don't forget, they you know when they're gone to uh, uh, Cocoa Beach or Cape Kennedy or whatever, they go very early because they have to be in quarantine. You know, I tell you that. So they're gone then. So they're like sisters when they get together. You know, and they all they're all in the same boat. You know, with the uh, flight. I even made some pictures of uh, uh, that flight, you know, of, uh, with Mitchell and Scott, you know, with his dog. Uh, kids playing with a sprinkler in the yard and the dog, you know, how they jump up and snap at it and all that kind of stuff.
0: Right. Are they? Are these pictures in the book? Do you have some great pictures in the book?
3: No, I didn't put those kind of pictures in there. And, and uh, uh, it was big, you know, one of the other astronauts... Uh, and uh, asked me to do that because he was going to load the uh, flight plans and he wanted to put it into the uh, flight plans when they uh, take off. Uh, I couldn't tell anybody about it, but uh, sometimes during the flight, you know, they mentioned something like that. And I, I, I don't I have to say I don't know anything, you know, because it come to me because, you know, we had such a good operation there. So. His, his flight, the wives, and, and the one that gave me the kitten, and put the uh, pictures on the moon for, for them to be it'd be there forever because, you know, no atmosphere and all that kind of stuff.
0: Well, Richard, you've done a nice thing for these astronauts' wives. You were a good friend to them.
3: Yeah, it was individually yeah you know, done.
0: You should keep writing.
3: I will. And hang uh, in there. I'd like to talk to you a little bit later okay. or something. Because, uh, all right, Richard. you won't believe what I have got through. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> and and the thing I'm doing is, is even on the sale of this book, I'm, I'm donating a pretty big part to the uh, veterans here. They're, they're so good, you know. Yeah. And... and uh, I've been messing with them anyway, you know, because I, I want to do something. You know, the the reason why I did this book is for that one of that reason, so that I, I make a mark in this world, you know, going out, you know, something that people can remember.
0: You've done a lot. You hang in there. All right.
3: I will, and, and uh, it's such a pleasure talking with you, and, and uh, any time you want to, I'm here, you know. I, I,
0: uh, All right, Richard. Thanks. You have a great yes, day.
3: And thank you so much.
0: D. Fuller-Smith has written three books, but The Disciples is his first through the Reader House family of publishers, and uh, you're doing things a little different this time, right? I'm,
2: I'm just a little older, and I'm doing a little little more thorough process of it, Um I never even thought the first time to have an interview like this, if, if, you know, just how naive I was. I thought I'd, I would make a book, um, everyone will read it, and then I'd be rich. And uh, oh. the middle stuff didn't happen.
0: Hummer. <laughs> you know, a lot of people yeah. think that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They let me down.
0: <laughs> it, it takes a little work, right? You've got to put something into it there.
2: There's just so much talent out there. To, to stand out means you're really talented. So, yeah, it, it just, it's a process.
0: It, it's definitely a process. So what was the inspiration for this book?
2: I love, um, movies. I love, uh, just storytelling. Um, my favorite ones are gangster stories. So, uh, I, 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 didn't know a lot about that stuff other than movies, but when I went to school at, at, uh, at Saguaro in uh, in Tucson here, um, we had kind of a drug trade on the side of our school. It just was kind of there. And, uh, you know, if, if you wanted, if you wanted the drugs, you can go and get them and no one ever stopped it, you know? And so like stuff like that, you just think about and you, and you mull and, um, you, I just put together stories and I guess the basic inspiration was I wanted to have a story about brothers, brothers going in different directions. And uh, that was kind of the core was the the Anslaw brothers. And then I actually built a whole story about Carmine based off of of that night when, when the one died and the one lived. And so it was, uh, I had the idea after Pulp Fiction, uh, the dialogue in Pulp Fiction in 94, really kind of, kind of, and said, I can write like that that he, he uh, Tarantino gave a real nice template on how, how you write how you write dialogue around a plot because uh, he kind of showed me that a plot's really important but it, you can't push a story with just a plot you got to have good characters and good dialogue and that dialogue in Paul Piction was just so amazing and just mesmerized I was actually on a date and it was funny because we would make out a little bit and then I would actually watch the movie and <laughs> it was the, it, it was the, my first conflict I guess.
0: So uh, tell me about these characters Um, Sam
2: has a mother that loves him and no father Carmine has a father who was beaten down by the world And no mother So Carmine became much more mature than Sam Because Sam was kind of babied And Carmine also had a, a moral situation Where he could do things and justify them that would be would be hurtful to others. And what happened was, um, basically they live in a town run by a man named Samuel Luscious and he just is a very, very old uh, demon, very uh, about, about 2000 years old. And he just, uh, just runs a town and he just kind of owns it. And, and, um, that's a deeper story about just how our society is run by these, um, figureheads that, you know, we have these human concepts of age and whatnot, but I mean, what if we run our our, anyway? So, uh, (laughs) uh, he notices uh carmine he sends one of his minions and, and gets an idea in carmine's head and carmine creates what was a on the side of a school drug trade into a business you know and within five years he's running the whole town as kind of a shadow of uh the uh, the, the main man uh who's running it and they get everything they want
0: can can you tell me how these two know each other
2: high school they're just high school buds they just uh, went to school together you know uh, they both uh, sold drugs together they um, uh, the, 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 the one not having a dad and one not having a mom, they kind of completed like, a family unit, but separately. And so um, they, they had a real bond.
0: And they were both always involved in the drug trade?
2: Yeah, they were smoking pot and, as freshmen, and, and they would sell a little bit there. And then by the time they were juniors, they were making money. And then by their senior year, they, they were running the whole, the whole um, drug trade there at the school. And then they just continued that.
0: And you're the guy that you're talking about that's running the town. is he running the drug trade in town, or is he an authority figure?
2: yeah, he he would be in a, he would be running the police and running the politicians and uh, uh, I, one of the uh, one of the things I was talking about power is is you get so old and you've been power for so long, you get bored. You know, and so one thing that's kind of exciting is maybe corrupting youth.
0: So when you were talking about the guy in control at, at this town, he's not like some kind of supernatural figure. He's just been in power a really long time.
2: Um, the, the way I constructed it, and, and I, I do this uh, through exposition, through a, a conversation he has, he was actually born before Jesus. So he's literally about 2,000 years old in our years. So what happened is somewhere along the line, he was corrupted by an evil entity that just gave him... Um, like, we use the word, like, immortality, you know, but at the end of the day, if you just live to be 200 years, you know, I mean, that's a really long time, so you might feel it, so I just kind of been examining that, just what would happen if, if uh, someone sold their soul to uh, Satan so long ago, and that, that they just were around forever, just around, and just kind of had that kind of, that, that, that based on that decision, where would they go, so it's a real examination of, I I guess I just look at our world today and it's why is there so much evil? And and then you you start kind of just backtracking, you know, how, how could it be, you know, and, uh, you always take a macro idea. And once you get to a micro, it becomes concept of a person of an idea of an institution. And it it, it was just fascinating to just kind of work backwards like that. And, uh, and again, this character I'm talking about, he's part of a council of, of many, um, entities like him that are very old and have been around a long time on this planet that just, are the reason why we're run the way we are? Wow! Uh, yeah, religion. Religion came along to maybe fight that uh, again in a concept, but religion is a is a belief, whereas these are actual physical manifestations that that you have to fight. So, if it's um. I've written stories about this too, where they've had meetings and and um um uh, they, they again the boarding comes in. They 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 play games where they'll take um. I have a concept of a planet where there's uh, heaven and hell and whatnot, and they'll take heathens from hell and put them on earth for the amusement of the people in heaven, and just uh, and again, just uh, I guess one thing that really affects me is the fact that um we say we're good, yet we do bad things, and I just can't get over that that, that conflict. And
0: well, um, okay, tell me how these two drug dealers then uh, are involved with this. Now, are the two drug dealers also supernatural, or are they just normal? No,
2: they're they're regular kids. But since they're under this man's um, tutelage, he, they, the, the cops don't bother them. Um, they, they, um, they actually have a bad plan to go out and, and and bully the other dealers to make them stop, and then they get fights and then they get hurt. And you know the the, the they end up their idea ends up working because. The other other dealers stop you know they, you know it, instead of um them having to earn it, it is given to them but you know they, they don't know that so they eventually get what they want and it feels like they earned it and they talk about it like they've earned it but they were always under the influence of, of the higher power um and i use the word the disciples because i do create him as um uh a, a jesus type figure uh a, 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 a leader and then his disciples are, are the drug dealers and then they recruit disciples and uh, it was kind of a reverse—not uh, uh, not reverse Christianity, but a reverse um, uh, Trinity, power Trinity of of, of, of the Holy
0: Trinity—the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost.
2: Right, right, yeah, just um, just just perverting that to to to, to evil.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, now this sounds <laughs> like a you know the disciples. It sounds like just the beginning. It sounds like we're just getting started in this book. Yeah. So where where what what happens to these guys? Where do you leave us?
2: Um, so the end of the disciples is, is a micro story where uh, it ends with just um, those characters uh, pretty much losing everything, and the only thing they have left is money and power, and just that 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 dichotomy where how much does money and power really mean if you really have nothing else, and, and it's just that, and then the, the bigger story is that you know we're part of uh, just a vast universe, and. We always had this concept that if um, aliens were to come here, they would take us over. So, um, taking that concept, uh, an alien race could come here, preach the Bible to us, um, kind of sedate us, confuse us, um, overwhelm us. And so, once that happens, that'll leave Samuel Luscious the ability to have his army of demons rise up and overtake them. You know, so I I, I like that that twist because we we always think that we're kind of sitting ducks here. But again, what if we're just laying a trap for an alien race. So then they'd take over, and then the way it would end was uh, the actual good people on Earth would would nuke the planet, and we'd live underground for a very long time as the the surface would be covered with just the uh, remnants of aliens and demons and, and nuclear fallout.
0: And so we would all live, all the humanoids, would be living beneath the Earth.
2: If if we were to survive, we wouldn't be able to go on the surface. And so that's a science fiction stuff I like to write about. How, how do you create a society where you understand something bad is going to happen and you have to live underground and you know, that, that, that process fascinates me and interests me. So I, I could write a story about that unto itself and then it can be part of the bigger one. But yeah, I, I, I like the idea of just um, being part of something so grand and big, you know, and, and our religion explains part of it, you know, and aliens explain part of it, you know, and, and, and then at the end, nuclear weapons explain part of it as well. When you live somewhere where you can destroy it, that's a very, it's a very earth-shattering, uh, uh, pun intended, kind of feeling.
0: It, well, yeah, it is, because we could destroy the earth very easily right now. We have the power to do that. Yeah, it's
2: very fragile. And, and then, again, we have, we have people making decisions about these things, and God forbid they make a bad decision, we could never recover from
0: it. it. That is true. That is true. You raise a lot of... Boy, I wouldn't want to read this before I go to bed at night. It's a grabber it's a grabber yeah since this is what you're doing this is what you intend to do full-time do you have a plan like some kind of a marketing plan yeah
2: you're part of my plan i i'm figuring out i'm i'm, I'm my own representative right now so one thing i do need is an agent so i'm i'm talking to you and i i i i got a review from literary titan i um i just sent the book to, to a couple of contests and i'm gonna bite the bullet and probably spend a couple thousand to promote on the radio and uh just uh, get the word out there and just Basically, if I can get an agent doing everything I'm doing right now, that'll be a huge step. And then that, at that point, I'll probably go get a book deal. And then at that point, I'll be, able, I'll be writing every day uh, and being paid for it.
0: If I can offer a suggestion, I'm could, why don't, could, could you try to get a book signing at your local Barnes & Noble? Or I've do not and
2: my personality type is not good for that because the, the, the in-person rejection does hit me. In a way, I, I got some uh, OCD, ADD kind of things. I think I'm a little autistic as well. So the, the, the literal looking at rejection does really affect me in a way that I, I can't do. So I, I, do, I, do, I would love to do a book signing where people know who I am and I can talk about it. Like, I, I'm really enjoying talking about my book with you right now. So I, I, I know I, I can do it. I just, I, I've been through the book signings where you're looking at people and they just don't even talk to you. And-
0: you, you had a book signing and what happened?
2: I'd done a couple for The Stigma back in 2004. Um, I sat with my wife at um, Borders, at park place, and um, no one really talked to me for about a half hour, and we left. I did another one at uh, Barnes & Noble, and I did sell some there. And so that was nice. Like,
0: did you invite people to come?
2: No, I didn't know how to do that stuff. I'm learning right now, so 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 I can do it better now. So, I, you know, that, that's a good point. I, I might do it better, you know, because... Uh, I do, um, on the front end, kind of prevent myself because I don't want to feel stuff on the back end. But that's a good point. I, the way you said that is, I, I understand what you're saying there.
0: Yeah, I'm, you know, if you invite people, invite friends, invite family ask them to invite bring somebody with them for the purpose of you not just talking about your book but your process and where you got the inspiration that just the kinds of questions I'm asking you because people
2: yeah, I like that idea they find that like interesting that,
0: yeah. like where these characters that you created uh, I find it
2: interesting so yeah that should translate absolutely
0: yeah these characters you created are they based on people you know are they based on experiences you had what's your process when do you write do you get up early in the morning when do when do ideas come to you. I've had people say to me, I just sit down and the dialogue just comes through my fingers. I mean, I've had people say amazing like, okay. Yeah, that's the yeah you know. <laughs> but th- that's that's interesting and and you certainly want to surround yourself with people who are going to like you and support you, not not <laughs> yes, yes. Don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. Don't, you know, people who aren't going to like you. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah,
2: don't don't waste time trying to win them over. No, yeah. no, no.
0: And then, you know, it just start just start where you are before you start spending money and trying to get an agent just see see what you can do right where you are and and then you know one step at a time d fuller smith
2: absolutely no very good yeah i agree with that
0: i'm looking forward to your next book
2: i really really like to have a book deal like if i if i had a book deal i could justify working on that but right now i really can't because i'm not being paid and i'm literally just doing something that i should be paid to be doing because it's it's uh, it's it's actual work, and it's the an editing process of work. If that makes
0: sense, it, it it is. But you know, I mean, if you're waiting for that, I just just be very careful. It it's it's a it's a very difficult industry you're in. It's like trying to be an actor. It's like you got to go to yeah. a million auditions. You have to be rejected a hundred thousand times unless you're Matthew McConaughey, who just kind of slid know, right into it. Really. Right, you're not Stephen King, <laughs> but but you know, somebody may need to find you do it for the love do it because you really want to do it and and just kind of take it one step at a time so you don't get it, it your hopes exciting, up
2: it, you know? it's an exciting hobby and the prospect of being a job is really enticing of course so I, I, I i i'm i'm really hoping uh, i i have um, a certificate uh, for a two-year degree and once i finish my spanish class i'll, I'll have a two-year uh, degree so i'll be able to actually get a better job than customer service so i'm you know, I, I am kind of a dreamer, so I didn't really get my education the way I should have, thinking I would, you know, write the books and whatnot. So.
0: Well, you, you know what? You never, you never know what's going to happen until you put it out there, and you're not dead yet. So just keep on keeping on, all right?
2: Just... It's been fun. <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's been a fun effort.
0: Good. Well, that's the point, right? <laughs> Life is short. You that's should right. enjoy it. <laughs> that's right. All right. Listen, I had a great time talking to you. Thanks so much. Yeah,
2: thank you. You were great. I I appreciate your advice, and and it's really good advice. And I I, I thank you for taking the time to say that. I do what
0: I can. All right. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. We hope to see you back here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock, or listen to our podcast anytime you want on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House House online bookstore, where independent new authors come first.